Good morning. Welcome to Convocation. My name is Becky Horst. I have three quick announcements and then I'll introduce today's speaker. First, Wednesday and Friday will be extended chapels with Shane Claiborne, well-known speaker and writer and Christian leader from Philadelphia. I'm sure many of you have read at least one of his books, The Irresistible Revolution and Jesus for President. That's one announcement. The second one is academic advising begins this Thursday and will extend for about two weeks after that. Go to your academic advisor's office door and sign up for a time to meet with him or her and plan your courses for next year, for, for the whole year. Third announcement, Friday is the first day of spring and it's also the first don't drive day here at Goshen College. We're encouraging everybody to get around without driving as much as possible on that day and we'd like to collect, see how many miles we can collect and see if we can collect some interesting stories as well. So those are the three quick announcements. Today's speaker is Rebecca Hernandez. She's the director of CITL. I'm curious, how many of you were in chapel on Friday led by CITL students, okay? At the end of Isaac's rap poem, he said, we are CITL. That was the last line of the poem. Do you know what that, those letters stand for, what that acronym stands for? If you do, yell it out. What's the C stand for? Center. What does the I stand for? Intercultural. T? Teaching. And L? Learning. Okay. That's the introduction. Well, you have started out the morning great. Thank you for that. So I won't say much about the center. How about that? No, I'm teasing. Kidding. Well, I'm going to show a little bit of slides, and I think they'll be interesting to you because, frankly, there are a lot of pictures, and I love pictures in, in presentations, so you'll see a few of those. First of all, thank you for coming. My name is Rebecca Hernandez, as um, Becky Horst introduced me. I've been here at Goshen about nine months. Can you believe it? It's been a very fast-paced time for me. It felt like just yesterday I arrived and uh, finally getting all the different addresses figured out and all of that, and so it's been an exciting time, but it's also been really challenging in a lot of ways. And I'll tell you about my journey to, see, to Goshen College, and part of it is uh, pretty interesting in the sense that for me, it feels like things are coming together in my life. So let me tell you a little bit about that. First of all, just a little bit about family history. It's always an interesting thing that I've learned here is that history really matters um, in, in the church and in the Mennonite faith. And so I always like to say that my roots are long and, long and deep here in the Midwest as well. My family is this picture on the, on the right is kind of hard to tell, but it's my, um, my parents, my aunts and uncles, and my father in a, with a little um, bandage on his head because he was driving a, one of those old-fashioned cars and tried to race it and didn't do quite so well. So it's a big joke because he's got a scar right across his forehead that we like to tease him about. But the picture on the left, that map, is actually what's called the migrant farm streams. If you look, everything starts in Texas, and that's where, where my family is from, South Texas. And if you look at that map, you'll see that it goes in three different directions. The first one is the western side. If you see that, it goes to California, picking grapes, Cesar Chavez. That's the area that they worked in mostly. And then the middle part, going straight up the Midwest, that's all the way through Indiana, all the way up to Michigan and back down. That's where my family worked mostly. And then the eastern side is people going to Florida and then north to the different parts. So if you look at that, our tradition, my family tradition, as it were, is the middle region. And so my family has been working really hard for, as farm workers for generations. And we have been here in, Midwest, in the Midwest for about uh, 70 or 80 years. So 
I think I can, I think we were right next to the Mennonite Millers somewhere along the way. So, but I wanted to show you a little bit about my family because first of all, they really matter to me. And secondly, because there's two deep rooted uh, traditions that we've learned or two rooted values that we have. One is faith. And so I look at this picture a lot and I think about it and I think about the faith. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my uh, fortress, my God in whom I will trust. And I think about my parents and the fact that they really believe that in all things, in all ways. As you can imagine, migrant farm working doesn't pay a lot of money and so my parents worked really hard and we believed through faith for everything that we had, including health. And so one of the things that I always think about is, as I think about snapshots of my journey, I was thinking about moments in time, and I think you guys have them too, when you can look back and say, oh, I remember this moment in time and that really changed this. And we all have those, and if you don't have them yet, you will along the way. One of them, when I was, uh, as the story has been told to me, I can't remember, of course, I was about four or five years old and uh, I was diagnosed with leukemia. And as a child, there wasn't any work, any real um, he uh, medication for that, medicine or healing, and my parents didn't have health care. And so I ended up in the hospital, but very late in that, in that um, period of health crisis. And so my, the doctors basically said, you know, she's not going to make it, and so you need to go ahead and just plan on that death. And so as I look, as my parents thought about that, my mother was a woman of faith and said, I don't buy that, I'm not going to take that. So she went to her church where there was an evangelist preaching and she begged him to come. And he came to the hospital and he prayed for me and the Lord healed me. And so for me, that was one of those snapshot moments that every day since then is a gift. So people say, oh, aren't you afraid to die? Aren't you afraid to do this or that? Not really, because been there, done that. And so, for, <laughs> and so for me, this idea that helps me when I get a little nervous, like today, but also nervous when I think about moving. I moved from Portland, Oregon, where I've been for 20 years in, the, in Oregon, to the Midwest again, somewhere I hadn't been in a long time, and thought, let's just go. God is called, I'm gonna go, so I went. So that to me is one of those faith experiences. And the second thing that's really important to my family is education. And so I'll tell you a little bit about that. I'm gonna take my watch off because I wanted to make sure I didn't go over time. In fact, I wanted to let you out early so you can remember me as the best speaker you've ever had. <laughs> okay. The reason I put junior achievement up there, has anyone heard of junior achievement? It's been involved in junior achievement? Okay, maybe that's a, those of us a little older. When I was in high school, I was involved in junior achievement. We had worked in the fields my whole life. We were, my, we were called settled out migrants. When we settled in Idaho, my family um, continued to work. We would work during the summers and into the, uh, we'd get out of school early, we would leave school early, frankly, and we would go back to school late in September to finish the crops. And so we would only work in Idaho in a, day, in a place that you could go for a day and come back. So that was what we were called settled out migrants. But I really enjoyed school and so I really missed going to school. And so in the summer, there was this great program called Summer Migrant, Migrant Camp and it was held at night. So you'd go to work in the fields all day You'd come home and shower and change, and then you'd go to night school, which was like six to nine, and it was really, really fun, and it was really cool. But one of those teachers really um, took me under her wing and talked to me about going to junior achievement in the school year. Never heard of it, didn't know what it was, but I thought, okay, sounds like fun. So I went to junior achievement, and it's a business, it's an idea where business people come in and they teach you skills, and they, how to market, and how to do sales, and I was quite good at that, if you can imagine. And I like to sell things, so we had made these clocks. And so I sold a bunch of these clocks, and I became the vice president of marketing in our little business. And that um, led to them. I won an award one night, and they brought me up, and they said, here, congratulations, you've got this award. 
And I was like, okay, thank you. And they said, it goes with a scholarship of $800. And I thought, well, that's cool. What does one do with the scholarship? I'd heard about college from other students, but I had no intention of going. And I didn't really know what it was, but I knew that a lot of people went. So I thought, okay. So then I ended up applying for schools. Someone helped me. It wasn't the high school guidance counselor who, who really didn't feel like I could go to college, but it was other people. And so I applied, and I ended up at Southeastern College. If anybody knows that, it's in Lakeland, Florida. It's a private liberal arts school, very similar to what, to Goshen. And I ended up there, went to school, and um, was thrilled. Didn't know you had to go to classes three days a week. Thought that was great, man. Who didn't have to get up and go five days a week? That was really cool. So I enjoyed that until about midway through my second semester when I got my financial aid bill. And I was like, whoa, what's this? So I called my mom and I go, mom, you know, they're sending me a bill. And she said, what is that about? I said, I don't know. So I ended up going, they sent me to the financial aid office and come to find out you have to pay to go to college. I didn't know that. I had no clue that you had to pay to go to college because the scholarship got me in, but it wasn't enough, obviously, to pay for anything. So I ended up with a lot of loans that year because it was too late for other loans, other bills. And so I thought about that a lot. And I think about that often when I work with our students because I realize many of us don't know all of these things, the ins and outs of all of the FAFSA and all the rest of that. So anyway, that was a long story to tell you that at Southeastern, I um, attended Southeastern for four years and had a great education there. One of the things that was really interesting was that my parents were very much involved in that decision. And one of the things they talked about, my father um, wrote a letter, wanted to write a letter and said, you know, do they, do they need my permission to spank you? We were, you know, corporal punishment was part of our growing up years. And I got it once in a while, as you can imagine. Um, so my father really stressed about that because it, he didn't write. He didn't write well. He only went to the third grade. And so he wanted to learn, have someone help him write this letter giving permission. And so he, I said, no, 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 you don't need to do that. I was just mortified, as you can imagine, at 17, thinking my father's going to write this letter. So he didn't have to write it, and I was thrilled. So that was that. I ended up going to Portland State University and, and Oregon State, and again, it was through the help of people who really felt that, that I could have a potential to go to college beyond a bachelor's degree. I never thought about it. People kept telling me I should do it, and so I finally did. So I loved school and just kept going on and on. One of the other things about this, you'll recognize, hopefully, Isaac. This is my family, and these are pictures of my family, and I think about them a lot because what I'm doing here is, has to do with them. I, like I said, I've always loved schooling, and I loved the school setting, and I knew I had access where other people didn't have access. I mentioned to you before that we worked as settled out migrant farm workers, and one of the things that I used to do was work in, these, work in the fields, and you'd meet people, other kids who came to work in the same time. And I remember this young woman, here's another snapshot moment for me, was we were working and talking, and it was getting close to the end of the field year, which was August, late August. We were going to go back after September when we finished picking apples. And so I was so excited. I was telling her about school, and I was asking her where she was going. And she got really sad and said, I'm not going to school. And I said, what do you mean you're not going to school? And she said, no, we moved to California after this. And, and so I, I said, haven't you ever gone to school? And she goes, once in a while. And I thought to myself, I remember this clearly that day, looking at her, thinking, I can't believe she doesn't go to school. And I realized what a privilege it was to go to school. And I, I don't know that many people know that, but it was for us, one, you get out of the heat, you get out of working really hard, and you got to study and learn something. So to me, it was one of the coolest things I'd ever heard was, I mean, for me, was that I got to go to school, and it was sad because she didn't get to go. And so I remember that, and I think about that with the kids. And so, um, like, Juana Watson talked about, you know, how she um, 
guilted her daughter into taking a particular taking band, I use this often with the kids to say, you, you get to go to school. Other people don't get to go to school. They don't listen to me quite as much as the mother, but I'll take it. So I worked really hard, went to college, and did all the rest of that. And part of the reason that I think about education a lot is because I realized, for me, it was a way out of poverty. And it, it can be for a lot of people, too. So what we're trying to do in that is that I just feel like this is a cool way for me to give back to my community to really be involved and do something I really love. Here's some statistics. Latinos comprise, and this is an old statistic, so I'm not sure that it's current, but uh, comprise about 12.5% of the US population and 4.5% of Indiana's population. But if you think about it, if you look at the data, by most social measures, such as housing, socioeconomic status, health status, and educational attainment, Latinos are more vulnerable and at greater risk for poor outcomes um, than non-Hispanic Anglos. One of those ways that, you think of, that I think about that, the reason I got into a PhD was not because I wanted to be you know, this great researcher, but because I thought about two things, again, snapshot moments. When I was in college, my mother had um, diabetes, and so she ended up, again, no healthcare access. Healthcare was really a big issue, and healthcare access continues to be an issue for many people, not just Latinos in this country, but for many people. Working class families, as you know, they're connected. Your healthcare is connected to your work. And so if you lose work, you lose healthcare access. So one of the things that happened with my mom was she didn't have consistent healthcare. And so her diabetes went unchecked for a long time and ended up um, dying when I was in high school, when I was, excuse me, when I was in college, I was 20 years old, and she was 38, if you can imagine. So that was one of those interesting moments that I thought, this is crazy. People are dying because they just can't get healthcare. So I went to a PhD program and focused in on healthcare access as one of my areas of interest. And so I look at health disparities that kind of moved out to, well, what is it about things that they can't, that areas or issues that happen around people's life that they can't have healthcare access? So one of those areas really is, where do people live? So then I started looking at social determinants. I know that sounds like a funky word, but it's about what is it socially that sets it up in ways that people can't get what they need for basic health care, for basic education. And you know what it is? It's social injustice is another great word for it. Um, social determinants and health disparities are the, kind of the terms we use in our work, in our field of research, but it's, its bottom line is social injustice. And so I think that matters as I moved further, closer and closer to Goshen College. Here's the, in the uh, statistics for Latinos in Indiana. If you can see, Elkhart County is second, 13.4%, and it just continues to grow. I know that people have been wondering about, you know, is that Latino population um, changing in this, in this area because of the economics? Of course it is. But overall, across the country, the growth of Latinos in this country is, continues to go up, and the statistics will bear that out in the, in the projections. So what about education? This is a lot of statistics, but the bottom line is this. Latino children will continue to be going to school, and they continue to be the highest population that will be going to school. In 2050, there will be more school-age Hispanic children than school-age non-Hispanic white children in our schools across the country. How does this, why does this matter? It matters because, as you saw on the previous slide, issues of poverty, issues of, of access to healthcare and access to a variety of other things that are just basic, um, are bar these lack of education is a barrier. That's why this matters to me. Unfortunately, 
uh, Latinos have about a 50% high school dropout rate right now, and that varies place to place, but it's about that. And there's a great slide, a group that did some great work, La Latino um, Youth Collective, and did a, a presentation that one of our students was involved in, Benito Miller, and they had a great slide that talked about only one in 100 of Latinos who start high school will graduate from college. Although, I would add this, just in the last few days, March 4th, there was a census put out a, a notice that the increase, there has been a slight increase in college attendance by Latinos, but it still lags behind in other area, from other groups. We can do better. We really can. Latinos as a cultural group need different approach. So why Goshen College? Why here? Why now? I ended up here because of two things. I saw a need, an interesting thing. I've been working in this field for a long time. I've worked in colleges and universities in Oregon for a while. I've been involved in nonprofit work. I've worked in housing organizations. I've worked in healthcare organizations. I've taught schools and I've taught college, both public school and then in private school and then also in college and universities. And you know what? The difference is very limited. You help and you work with some kids, but it doesn't make an overall difference. I've worked in the legislature at the state in Oregon. I've worked in a variety of other places, but the reality is it kept getting more and more dismal. And I kept thinking, man, is this all there is? What about faith? And then on Sunday, I'd go to church and think, how does this fit together? How do these two things mesh? Well, here's where I thought GC has a place, has a potential to do something pretty exciting with the center. When I heard about the center, I thought, wow, a place where you can put your faith and your call to justice together with the kind of work that I wanted to do. That's why I thought, here's an opportunity. And then you add financial resources. I'm not unaware that, that a big Lilly grant helps. Twelve and a half million dollars, you bet it helps. But the reality is if, there's an, if you have money but you don't have the will, it'll just peter away and nothing will happen. I believe that here at this moment in this time with this administration, with these people, with you all as students who really care about other people, I've seen that. I've been amazed at what you guys care about and how much you care that now is the time that we can really do something and be a model for the rest of this country, for the rest of the world. Wouldn't that be amazing? Goshen College, known for doing things differently, for bringing access issues out in the open and saying, you know what, we're going to struggle with this. We like to go across the oceans, but you know what, we're going to bring it back home and say, let's figure out how do you live elbow to elbow in dorms and in classrooms and in this community together and say, we can figure this out and we'll do it and we'll be okay with it. So that's what I'm hoping that we can do. The second thing is that I know that I can offer something. You ask what I can bring to this, well, I can bring some things. I can bring my expertise and my knowledge and, frankly, my heart. This is my passion. This is what I do. I have a vested interest in this. I have 16 or 18, I can't remember now, nieces and nephews who will be growing up and going to college is my hope. And so I want them to have a great future, too. So here's some of the things that, they, that Latino families need, and I think we can bring that through the center. And so here's what the center does. These are the official, um, the official goals of the center, but I'm going to give it to you in the way I think about it. Access. Basically, to provide a pathway for Latino students who may not have heard or considered GC as a college option. To bring students willing to serve by sharing their knowledge, their leadership skills through service to the campus and to the larger community. And this isn't done with us alone. If I think about my colleagues, you know, which I'll talk about in a minute, it's not us alone. It's Dr. Odalette Nance, it's, you know, Bill Bourne, it's, it's Lana Ray, it's, excuse me, Lana, it's all of these other people who are doing this work. It's not our 
little group to get alone. It's the entire campus. It's the faculty. I think of the number of faculty who've been, who care about students, who talk to me about this student or that student, who are involved. I think about the students who you guys work together on these projects. The fact that we can have a student who does a rap here and you guys are appreciative of that is a pretty cool thing. You guys matter. You guys make the difference. You live and you work together in rooms and in dorms, and you figure things out. And I think that's an amazing gift. Again, I've been at a lot of states, several state schools, and the student body doesn't care like you guys do. And so you have a gift that is above what other people have. And so I appreciate that about you. So curriculum reform. Basically, to help the institution, to help Goshen College change. And we need to change. There are some things that we do out of tradition that maybe don't work for other people. And are we willing to say, I'm willing to change that? Because why? Because God has called me to care about you more than about myself. That's a pretty good reason. To change and to address the issues and barriers that keep other people out. To focus on how students learn and to encourage teaching that best meets the needs of diverse students. This is not done, again, by me. It's done by faculty. And it's done by Dr. Anita, by our boss. Anita Stalzer, excuse me, and then Dr. Ross Peterson Veach, who's over there. You guys know him. He's kind of cool. He's funny, but he's also really serious about what he's doing. And then lastly, the research under Dr. Robert Reyes' supervision and his work and his passion for this is basically to, to do this, to present new ideas and theories about student success and to really counter those, to, to fight against those theories and those statements that people make that say that Latinos and other minority students can't succeed. That's huge to say we're going to use the same tools of research that others use to put against us. We're going to use to counter that statement to say that students can't make a difference because we know we can. So I want to just end with this. I told you I'm going to let you guys early because I'm going to be the best. You guys are student. This is basically the circles. I invite you to do this. This is way complicated and there's a lot to it. Bottom line, I think it's about educational equity and fighting injustice. That's what we do. That's what I'm about. And that's what the center's about. But you need to know more details. You're welcome to come and visit us. We're at the north, I can never tell directions, north end of Union. So you can check us out there. And this is just some of the research that we're doing. But here's some upcoming events. If you want to learn more about what your professors are doing outside of, outside of your classroom, they're actually doing really cool stuff. And your colleagues are doing some really good stuff. Understanding the social context, Dr. Linda Nice has been doing some research on that. Um, how many of you guys have Dr. Richards for economics of some sort, some class? Anyone? Yep, a few of you. Here, he's doing a presentation on economics of immigration in Elkhart County. That's this week. You should come and hear that. Next week, how many of you have uh, Dr. Gary for class? Anybody? OK. Extra points, I'm sure, if you go to his presentation. Right? Yeah, I'm sure. And then Dr. B uh, Bitu, who's in our office, who's a visiting scholar, has been doing a lot of work around the educational experience of Latino students here at Goshen College. Some of you have been involved in that. They've been talking to you, asking you questions, seeing what you think about that. That's one. And then you might wonder what your colleagues are doing, what your classmates are doing. Here's what they're doing. Remember I told you that we, we invite lots of, uh, several students, we pick students out to give them a scholarship to come to Goshen College, but not to just sit in the pew and, or sit where they are and to do little or just to get their own education. We understand that in order to really help the community as a whole, they've got to do something. They've got to step up and work too. And so they do that. They do that through this project that we're doing called Goals for the Future. It's a 
They also understand their community, that soccer's big, and so they'll be doing a soccer tournament on April 4th. We, may be, we will be needing volunteers, and so please see the students afterwards. But that's not the goal. That's a magnet to draw families to come to Goshen College, to learn about what it's like to come to, go, to college, what it takes to get ready to go to college, that you might actually have to pay to go to college, which is something I learned while in college. is not always the best place to learn it. Um, and then to figure out what grades and things they need to be working on in middle school and high school. So this is the opportunity for our students to give back to the local community. All of this is, you're, you might be thinking, what is, this is all nice, but what about me? What is this, what is this, what do I have to be involved with? Well, you need to be involved because frankly, what's good for students of minority students who are, who may be struggling is gonna be good for you. Because this is a transformation for the entire campus, not just for some students. You're gonna get the benefit of this, and more than that, you're gonna get a chance to serve with your, with your colleagues in school. So these are some of the students that you all know. Not a great picture, the color's off. But um, hopefully you'll get to talk to them a little bit and ask them what they're up to and what they're doing and why. So thank you for this opportunity to share a bit about myself and the work we're trying to do here at GC, the work we will be doing at GC, the work we are doing at GC. And I know that this is not the, not the last chapter I also want to be really clear to say to you, this isn't new, or new to Goshen College or to the Mennonite Church. They've been working with the Latino community for years and years, and we're just the latest chapter in that. We're just the next chapter. We won't be the last one, and I imagine we'll be, we'll be kind of spinning off things and seeing where they go. But you're welcome to come and work with us and to practice some things and to learn stuff. And we always have good food around, so that's always helpful. So thank you. You're two minutes, three minutes out, and I appreciate your time.